I was talking to a Christian filmmaker, and again, this many years ago, maybe 15 years ago, and I was just complaining and whining about Christian music and how weak it was doctrinally and musically. And he stopped me. He, it it kind of made him irritated. And he said, well, he says, you know, I have two little children. Think, think of it like this. He said, I have two little children, maybe four and five. And they came to me the other day and they sang a song to me. And by anyone else's standards, it was, it was not good. You know, it was really kind of awful, but I'm their father. And to me, it was beautiful and it was wonderful. And it conveyed love. And so maybe God looks at the, these people like that. Let's be honest, talking about our faith, it can get hard sometimes. Sometimes we get caught up in the world. But now, the world will have to get caught up in us. We're here to talk about our real faith. We're here to talk about the real God. For unapologetic apologetics everywhere, welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. Welcome to the Tactical Faith Podcast. Today we have the pleasure of talking with a member of one of Progressive Rock's most celebrated modern acts, Glass Hammer. Steve Babb is the band's bass player. And along with keyboardist Fred Schindel, he's one of the band's primary composers. He's also known to step up to the mic every here and there. Steve, let me begin by thanking you for taking the time to talk with us today. It's a pleasure to have you on. It's an honor to be asked. Um, as you know, the, the relationship between Christianity and the arts, it, it's a topic that can invoke very diverse and even contentious opinions. And it's an area in which I think we've had some great examples, but also a lot of artificiality and a lot of false assumptions defining how the church should engage. But I think the topic may be more important than ever because our digital culture seems to be embracing media more and more as a primary form of communication and expression. Um, the reason I wanted to talk with you is because as a person of faith, your approach to art through the medium of music is incredibly unique in a number of ways but it really doesn't fit any of the standard templates we typically associate with faith-based artists today. So let's start here. Um, what is your gut level state of the union on Christianity and the arts in 2021, uh, especially as it relates to musical expressions? Okay, so, and that's good because I'm, and I'm really only semi-qualified to answer about church music specifically because that's where my opinion might differ from many other opinions. So, um, and I'll say too, that I've been one of those people that have been hypercritical in the past and probably to the point where I may have hurt some feelings. So <laughs> I'm gonna try to um, modify a little bit of what I say. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'll tell you, I looked up something earlier about Christian art and the the Wikipedia page, uh, I mean, it lists modern Christian artists as uh, people like Thomas Kincaid, you know, and I don't, I mean, I don't have a problem with Thomas Kincaid. I think it's some beautiful, uh, he makes some beautiful art, but um, if you figure we started, well, have you, let me ask you this, you ever read Francis Schaeffer? 
Oh yeah, I've, I've got um, his. I've got his entire collected works, actually. Yeah. So just let's see. It's oh, how should how should we then live? So there's a a, a good chapter in there about uh, the state of art. I guess he might have written that back in the '80s, um, but he shows how we've devolved over time. Uh, until I read Francis Schaeffer, I wasn't aware of how things came to be in the state that they're in now, but it made a lot of sense. So I would advise anybody that wants to debate the topic to, to read that first. But anyway, my, my overall opinion of church music, if we were to call it art, is I'm, I mean, I'm not a fan at all. Um, I think it's, there's a, psalm that says uh, we're to uh, sing a new song and with skill or skillfully um, and maybe we've got new songs but there's not a lot of skill involved and you could ask any worship music uh, musician in, in any modern church and they're going to tell you the same thing um, I've I, it just doesn't take a lot to write a Christian song now or to perform it I, I know plenty of Christian musicians and worship leaders. Um, they tend to, for instance, before worship service, they'll quickly learn the, the new songs. And then they'll have, they have a rehearsal. And then boom, they play it. But if you were to set all that aside and, and just take those same musicians who performing their own music, like for a concert or something like that, they're gonna practice for weeks. So they're gonna put time into it. Um, and there's a lot of skill involved, of course, but uh, so I just don't see a lot of skill. Um, there's reasons why that's happened. I don't wanna go into too much of it. Do you, do you happen to know, for instance, who, have you, or have you ever thought about who owns Christian publishing? Yeah, it's, it's my understanding that at this point, it's almost entirely been gobbled up by, uh, by, a, by a big corporate uh, music conglomerates and that it's really not owned or operated by, uh, by the church in any way, shape, form, or fashion, and that it's just a money-making. It's just another stream of revenue for them. I'm glad you knew that. Uh, I think, though, if, if you were to ask you know, a random sampling of worship leaders. I don't think they know that. Uh, but I, I'm gonna, I'll give you a rundown because I, I just did a quick Google search. And, and this has been going on since probably the early 90s, if not the, the 80s, that corporations ran this. So you would start with things like word publishing and, and that would get gobbled up. I remember they had a, it's been 20 something years ago, but the president of word music was not a Christian. And I don't know who is now. But so I looked at some artists like Chris Tomlin, Hillsong United, Hillsong Worship, Michael W. Smith, David Crowder. Uh, that is run by Capital Music Group, who's owned by Universal Music Group, formed by a merger of EMI Christian Music Publishing and Brentwood Benson Music Publishing. Uh, they're headquartered in the Netherlands, Universal is owned by a French company called Vivendi and a Chinese tech company called Tencent. 
And I think if you, and anybody that wants to, to go just a little further, will find some very surprising things. And I think if we start at the top, you may kind of have a good indication of why things are so bad at the bottom. You know, it's, there's a, it's money that drives the business. Um, and it's a sad, it's a sad thing. It would well, be nice if churches were to just, you know, bring their songwriters to the front, you know, find them and let them write for that church and just keep it, keep it within the body. Uh, there's no real Christian reason to do otherwise. Right. Uh, and and uh, just so that people know, uh, if anybody uh, is curious, you know, as to as to where Glass Hammer is uh, in all of this, you you own and operate your own label. So you guys are doing it yeah. independently. Uh, and if anybody's right. interested, go ahead. Well, the the way that started was, you know, as an 80s musician, everything revolved around getting signed to a deal. That's all anybody wanted. That's all we were trying to do. And so that hit me in the early 90s. I'm like, wait a minute, if I want signed to a label, why not start a label? Now I'm signed. Right. <laughs> so it was kind of a, a, a trick. But uh, suddenly there's a record company and, and we put out records. You know. And take so, the yeah, conflict of interest out of it. We've had offers from bigger companies, but I felt like if we were a success, then we would get the credit for it. If we fail, I wouldn't have anybody else to blame. And I don't have anyone else to answer to except Fred and my wife, Julie, who uh, helps run the business. So um, it's worked out very well for us to just stay away from uh, non-musicians who are running the business. Right, right. Well, um, you know, kind of along these same lines, uh, to me, the, the modern church's approach to faith and art, it can really come across as mostly utilitarian. And what I mean by that is that the artistic medium tends to just be a vehicle for delivering uh, an agenda, which is usually a very over-Christian message designed to be evangelistic on some level. And the church seems to be conditioned to really, at this point, evaluate art more in terms of how well it delivers the agenda than whether it's actually quality work, which is kind of what we were talking about just a moment ago. And it, it can strike me as very contrived and, and reductionist in its approach. So do you think this diminishes the significance and meaning God intended for artistic expression? And if so, what do you think is potentially being lost there? Well, I think art's being lost. Uh, you know, I, I just looked up, you know, I found a few people who are still writing some pretty awesome choral music. Uh, but, you know, where is today's Handel's Messiah? You know, who, who, who's writing that? Maybe somebody is, but would they ever rise to the top? Would, would any church be able, well, some churches could perform that, but most couldn't. Um, so I think it's art is what's sacrificed. Um, I, it, if, it seems to me the only agenda in Christian music in the church should be to, to please God. That should be it. Um, I don't know that it really should be used to evangelize. I don't know if, 
if it's effective. I mean, I don't know if we have numbers on that. Now, Christian entertainment, you know, that's, you have to put that aside. You know, people start film companies and they're, they're going to try their thing and they're hoping to reach the world. And I believe probably they, they do. They probably reach some people. But back to the, you know, the agenda, I, Fred and I were approached um, probably in the late 90s. Uh, and we went to a meeting at Brentwood Benson. Uh, in Nashville, and they liked Glass Hammer, uh, and they liked some things we had written. We wrote a musical and some things like that, and so they brought us into this meeting. And you you would kind of picture a big boardroom, you know, but it's not. It's just a, the president in his office, and he had his uh, some assistants, two assistants with him, and they just looked like us, you know. But as we talked. This is, this is the thing that struck me. He, they, he told me, he said, we really like what you do. We really like it. And we think that you could head up our worship, Spearhead. And we just we think you're talented guys, great songwriters, but we're going to have to ask you to dumb it down. Wow. And we talked about that for a little bit. And I'm like, dumb it down. Okay. And they all, all the people we were meeting with just sort of deflated. And they just looked tired and run down. And they're like, the guy says to me, we, he says, yeah, it's unfortunate, but we know our audience. Mm. We know our audience. And, you know, we, we went away. He gave me a few CDs to listen to. And Fred and I popped one in on the way home. And uh, I, don't, I don't think we made it through three songs. I tossed it in the back seat. And I'm like, if they want to pay us to do that, that's fine. But we're not. You know, we're not going to, you know, it's just, it's sad. Right. Sad. Right. And, and your average worship leader doesn't know that, that they're being fed music that's been dumbed down. But that's, that's what's happening. Or that's, that's what I was told. Yep. And it's got to be symptomatic of the culture as a whole. Otherwise people just wouldn't tolerate it. And I think that, uh, that the entire the entirety of Western culture and, and particularly the church has absolutely lost yeah, touch well, yeah. with the fact that really well, the, church, the, yeah. the church was at the vanguard of the greatest artistic and musical uh, pieces in, in all of history. Yes. And we were supposed to be the salt of the earth. Right. And we've lost our flavor. Uh, you know, I've broached the subject many times with people. I could just never get anyone to listen. And I think I came off, you know, really harsh sometimes. I, I was talking to a Christian filmmaker, and again, this many years ago, maybe 15 years ago. And I was just complaining and whining about Christian music and how weak it was doctrinally and musically. And he stopped me. He, it it kind of made him irritated. And he said, well, he says, you know, I have two little children. Think, think of it like this. He said, I have two little children, maybe four and five. And they came to me the other day and they sang a song to me. And by anyone else's standards, it was, it was not good. You know, it was really kind of awful, but I'm their father. And to me, it was beautiful and it was wonderful. And it conveyed love. And so maybe God looks at the, these people like that. And I didn't really have to think about it for a second. I said, okay, so take those two kids and let's say 20 years goes by 
or 25 years to the back. And they come, by, they come to you and they go, Daddy, we got a song. And they sing it and it's gotten no better. Hmm. And, and or maybe it's slid backwards. You know, how do you think you would feel about it then? You'd be embarrassed hmm. for them. And I, I don't know what God thinks about it, but it, you know, in, in that context, I don't think we have anything to be proud of right now. Well, what does it mean to you as an artist and a believer to create honestly and with integrity in this regard? What are you thinking? How are you approaching it um, in practical terms? Okay, so that's that's an easy answer for me. I'm uh, I'm not making church music, uh, so I'm not. And and if, I think if you do that, you have to be really careful, and especially if you're making money, that sort of thing. So I, I mean, I have a business, uh, and just like anybody that's a Christian, no matter what they do, uh, I think you as a Christian, you have to your your worldview should show that through it. You should practice your art, your business, um, and, and somehow God should be glorified in that. And with musicians or a band like Glass Hammer, it's a little easier to do. We can put it in the lyrics. We can make uplifting music. But I don't feel constrained by you know, a church or what's popular or any of that. So I'm just trying. I, I'd start every album with a prayer and, and there's a lot of prayer. And I, I tell God, you know, please, or I invite him into the process. And I say, all I wanna do, I wanna be able to bless my family through this music, but I hope and pray that, you know, it will go out into the world and bless others. You know, I imagine I've let God down a million times in my life, but the one thing I can kind of protect is it's the music that comes out of me and the words that come out of me. So that's my motivation. Right. Uh, it's, it is a business for me. And that really kind of, that really kind of leads into um, what I think is absolutely one of the most unique things about Glass Hammer's approach, uh, considering the, the, uh, aspect of faith that you and Fred and many of the other members have brought into the band. And that's that the band has never really seemed to acknowledge any kind of wall or division between the sacred and the secular, as it's often called. Um, Glass Hammer really seems to live in both worlds uh, very naturally. And, and I feel it, it pulls them together really in a way that, that to me feels completely unforced. So one of the things I've always wondered is, is whether it's ever been a struggle to find that balance or whether that approach is just something that has always made sense to you and your co-writer and, and bandmate, Fred Schindel. Well, um, the only time it ever, I mean, we used to say this, I don't know if other churches do this, but you know, at a certain age, if some people felt the call, you know, they were called into ministry or they were led to do this or that. And I was sort of pushed in that direction for a while because I was a church pianist at the age of 12. So, and it was a small church. So they just thought, you know, oh, he's gonna be like, he's gonna be a song director. He's, but I never felt that call. Um, and as I approached uh, the age where I needed to start deciding what to do in school and all, I'm like, 
what am I going to do? I, what I wanted to do was be in a popular band. I wanted to be a rock star. But my Christian upbringing was already playing into that at 17, I guess, because I knew right then that what I wanted to do was um, never let my music mirror my flesh. I wanted it to mirror my spirit and what I believe. And I'm not sure if that answers your question or not, but yeah, yes. it, yeah. Uh, I wanna, let's see, I wrote something. Um, so I said, but, but my feelings about God and heaven and the epic story he's written and evolved us in, I cannot help but try and convey that through music. It may not always be apparent, but it, it's there. Um, Dreaming City to me is, is a Christian work. Yeah, you won't absolutely. really know it. I can get to the end of the story. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there is a distinction between secular and, and faith. I just don't, I don't think it's there. I, I try, I pray all day long when I'm driving, I'm praying and have whatever I see or whatever I do, it's through that lens. Everybody has a worldview and you know, that's mine. But it's well, not a uh, Sunday thing. <laughs> it's an everyday thing. Gotcha. Um, kind of gets us to the, the question of uh, art done for its own sake or art done for entertainment's sake. So when we're talking about Class Hammer, you have albums like Lex Rex or songs from albums like the compilations that can have a very direct, um, really unmistakable spiritual message. And then there are albums like The Inconsolable Secret, Dreaming City, which you just mentioned came out last year, uh, where some aspect of the larger eternal story is being conveyed through a fictional tale. But then some of the output has been kind of just for fun, as they say. So for example, Chronometry tells this whimsical, humorous story that doesn't have a, a serious message or real overt spiritual content. What are your thoughts on the legitimacy of Christians producing art primarily to entertain or provide enjoyment? And how do you respond to someone who feels this is beneath the calling of a Christian in the arts? I remember, and I, I, can't, I looked for the quote on this. I, it's long lost, but I believe her name is Leah Nash from uh, Sixpence, None the Richer, L-E-I-G-H. There, She was kind of jumped on for writing Kiss Me. Right. Uh, and and there, that's not a Christian song. And she's like, well, this is about my husband, you know. So yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and what happened with Six Pence is though they were already in that box that are known as a Christian band. And sadly, one of the only things I used to Google is Glass Hammer. And, and then you'd get, it would autofill. And the first thing that come up is Glass Hammer, a Christian band. And the quote for me was no. <laughs> I'm like, that, that didn't make me feel good. But, you know, I, I think we are not a Christian band. I don't think a band can be saved. Uh, I think individuals are. So um, that's just not been my thing. Now, some of the stuff on the compilations was from an album we tried to write called Faith and Reason. And I was going to take us that direction. It was in the late 90s, probably about the time we were talking to Brentwood Benson. And yeah. we're going to get in the business. And uh, and to me, a lot of it just was all of the, the songs and the writing, especially my part, it was, it's just a dud. Uh, 
the Lord wasn't going to bless it, as we say. Uh, and I just, it's just not what I'm supposed to do. I did, I did write some church music for a while uh, for a youth group, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. But my overall calling in life, I think, was to do exactly what I'm doing. And I, nobody's ever really criticized this port to my face, at least. Yeah. And I know there are some progressive rock musicians who they feel like all of their output has to be overt very obvious and they're doing well with that and that's great i think that's fine but that's not what we do but even chronometry or chronometry i couldn't help but do it so we did a follow-up called chronomenot right great we, thank you um towards the end i can't remember how i exactly did it but i sort of twisted the, the thing around and made it spiritual so i'm like i'm still going to drag that uh character uh tom the titans were about i'm going to drag him to the so i had to resolve that for myself well it it just just as an aside i've got to say it uh you talking about the compilations being what you felt in your opinion were kind of dud songs or you know i those are some of my favorite songs by the band and it's not just because of the lyrics i just love the songs i mean a equals a is probably um in my top five glass hammer song so i mean there's just some great stuff yeah. in that album it, it really it really is there yeah. really i've never seen it yeah. i'll get it online one day it was it was mostly shot i guess it was all shot in the studio but yeah uh, yeah it's actually pretty good did you have dave carter with you for that one is that did he play I guitar did. on that yeah. dave carter, uh, walter moore i think sang it and then we all did these cool um you know kind of madrigal parts and yeah. the breakdown i remember that it was, it was a blast that's a fred Schindel creation really yes oh yeah the narrow way was something where i think that's on that album and i wrote the lyrics for that and they're and they're very judgy yeah. i thought uh, i mean it's about people going to hell i think it was it's interesting <laughs> you say because i like i like that song a lot musically and lyrically i loved it but I was, uh, I thought, man, they're, they're really stepping out here on this one. You know, so, so I, yeah. I felt it, you know. <laughs> I tried. I tried really hard. Uh, the interesting thing about that song that I remember was what, what actually what pushed me to write that. This is so silly. Was uh, Madonna being interviewed by Larry King. Mm-hmm. And she's, at some point she said, uh, they were talking about God, and, and she said, oh, I think all paths lead to God. So there's at least one verse in there that if, if now if you go back and read it, you'll, you'll know where it came from. Now, you see, because I thought I, it was about I don't I think all paths lead to God. <laughs> no, no. Well, it could be now for sure, yeah. Um, well, Glass Hammer has truly what I would term uh, a cosmopolitan appeal, at least within the genre of progressive rock. Fans of the band... Uh, as far as I can tell, don't seem to be at all greatly weighted in favor of a Christian audience or a non-Christian audience. Um, I've always felt that your music is unifying in that regard. The common ground is kind of forged um, for everybody through the music. Is is this accurate? And have you seen it lead to beneficial and helpful conversations about faith within the glass hammer community? So, there was some, I guess, some debate about the time of Lex Rex 
um, I used to see it on the forums. Everybody loved the album and it, and it sold very well. Uh, but people were scratching their heads and some people just didn't like the, anything about Christ at all. And there's, you know, some virulent anti-Christians within the prog rock community. We, we played a show one time where uh, somebody actually came up to our table. We had a merchandise table and they whispered, are you guys a Christian band? And he said, I'm a Christian too. He, he felt like he had to, to be quiet about it. Right. Uh, that tells you how many people uh, in, in our genre or fans of our genre are not Christian. And I never, you know, so since our job, I felt like first and foremost was entertainment. The music should be compelling, even above the lyrics. I never wanted the story or the theme to overwhelm the music because prog people aren't really about lyrics. They're about licks and chops and complicated things. So the lyrics are always there as an extra to me, hoping that it points the way for non-Christians that, that some of the songs we wrote like Heaven or When We Were Young, they, they reached this kind of a, a pinnacle where you can feel, I hope you, you can feel this joy that's just about to explode. Yeah. And so I always hoped this would cause a non-Christian to kind of go scratch their heads and go, wait a minute, now why are they so happy? Yeah. <laughs> what, is it, what is it that makes these guys be able to feel like this? Uh, I don't know that that's happened, but I hope it did. Uh, and because they know we're Christians, it's been discussed in interviews. And uh, I think they like our approach to it. I, yeah. I've read comments. That, that, so I, I think it's worked out well. And then the, the really the other thing that I believe we do very well uh, is that we edify Christians. Um, that it makes them feel less alone um, or something we say really, you know, gives them that little glimpse of heaven. That's something that was always important to me was that, that the music could kind of make a, and it's an attempt to just kind of pull back the curtain and, and let light shine through and fill your heart with, with beauty and wonder and your thoughts will lead toward God. I mean, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, well, it's it certainly it certainly had that that effect for me, and that's why I continue to come back to this band over and over and over since uh, what was it two thousand two when I discovered uh, Lex Rex uh, and and knew that I was onto something you know, really really special. And what it it the the lyrics do need the music. The lyrics are great on their own. You're you're quite a poet. You really have a way with words that the lyrics stand on their own apart from the music. But when they're married with the music, it, right. it really it really has that effect. So um, so so confirmed on that count. I had somebody teach me a long time ago uh, about, you know, matching certain chords with certain words. And it, it's an emotional manipulation. I, I think that's <laughs> it is. Uh, you want the you want your listener to feel something, so there's kind of a little uh, magic at play and how that's done. And you can do it very simply, like churches do it when they modulate. I mean, yeah. they don't do that in worship songs anymore, but everybody's like, "Yeah, all right, uh, singing higher now," and then they feel better. Uh, but yeah, there, there's a certain way to match, like sad chords with very poignant thoughts, 
and it tugs at the heartstrings. But now, all, even saying it's contrived, that's how I feel. Yeah. I mean, I'm writing it and I'm feeling it myself. So I guess, I guess that's honest. Yeah, absolutely. And if it means something to you, I think it's going to, it's going it to mean does. something yeah. to other people. Every yeah. time I've done this, it's, it's been kind of an inspiration. Um, and for all my complaining about Christian music and Christian art, I go back to 2005 and the inconsolable secret. And, and part of what inspired that part of it was that I had complained so much. Uh, and I thought, why, don't you, why complain? Why don't you just do something, make something, make some sort of thing and that you can point to and go, well, this is, here's an example of what I'm trying to say. And, and you probably, in looking back at, at our conversation, you will realize, well, he makes music about it better than he talks about it. You know, so I try to make my point about all of it with music uh, because me arguing with people isn't going to do anybody any good. It's not, it's not worked out well. All right. Um, to kind of wrapping this up, uh, it's, you know, it's hard to, to miss, and we've, we've touched on this a little bit, it's hard to miss that storytelling comprises the bulk of Glasshammer's lyrical content. So your music does take a bit of an investment from the listener because the big picture is often not realized until we get to the final song on a, on a Glasshammer album. Why is the band tended to focus more on stories and conceptual themes that often will span an entire record as opposed to the more common approach of neatly compressing ideas into individual songs? Well, I mean, my introduction to progressive rock and about the time I woke up musically to popular music, uh, you know, Rush 2112, and I'm, this is great because I like to read. And wow, here's rock and a story. Uh, Pink Floyd, you know, of course, The Wall came out when I, about the time I turned 19. Um, and you don't even necessarily know what that story is about uh, at 19, but you know some, it's about something and you feel yeah. like I started at the beginning, there's a middle and there's an end, just like in a film. And I may not understand it, but I know I've been somewhere. Uh, so that's kind of been important to me with Glass Hammer is even if they're, people don't stop to explore what the story is, I, even though I talk about it incessantly and ram it in their faces, at least they'll feel like they've been a part of the story. And, it, you know, I, I do think a lot of our musical tastes, we're, we're all wired at a certain age. And for me, certain things kind of all combined at the exact same time. I had a fierce love of J.R.R. Tolkien. And and at the same time, I'm listening to Rush, you know, and yes, and exploring some of those classic progressive albums. And it all just kind of got mashed up in there with my faith somehow. Uh, and so that's what I wanted to do. I want to tell stories that you know, wouldn't necessarily beat a, a non-Christian in the head, but the, they should know what I'm talking about and that it's important to me. And I love to do it in a story form. It's, it's very complicated. It's like a puzzle. It's hard to do this. It's really hard to do it 12 or 13 or 14 times. It's yeah. really hard to do it. So, uh, so we enjoy it. Fred and I enjoy it from that aspect. It's a challenge. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that um, any any viewers or listeners who are not familiar with Ben will take time to at least go over to maybe the YouTube channel and uh, check some stuff out and, and understand. I think people will understand very quickly uh, just how much is going to have to go into creating what you guys create um, and, and how when you're talking about, you know, art and um, and the impetus on believers to glorify God by doing it skillfully and doing it well, that you're really, you're, you're putting your money where your mouth is on that stuff. Yeah, um, to. Yeah. Um, and finally, one final question is kind of leads from just from what we just said. Uh, lyrically, Glasshammer also touches on themes encompassing apologetics, philosophy, mythology, um, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis are clear influences. You've addressed that extensively over the years. I think that's one of the most common questions I see you get asked about. Uh, but beyond Lewis and Tolkien, who are some of the spiritual influences that have inspired Glasshammer? So some of the philosophical things were early on, and it's, it's apparent in A is A, um, where Fred and I were both had just dove into Ayn Rand, probably because we were in the rush. And Neil Peart loved loved her writings, right. uh, so we explored that for a while. Then I discussed it with a Christian philosopher or a professor of philosophy, and I'm like, "Am I an objectivist? Is that what I am?" And he's like, "No, you're an absolutist. You know, there's a difference." Um, and I realized I, I, that's what it is. I believe in absolute truth. I think Ayn Rand, economically speaking, she's brilliant that she trashes the faith and most of her followers do the same i think it's a it's a sad sad thing because yeah. there's some brilliant people uh, right. in the, in there. but I'll, let me give you an example of uh things that inspire uh there's a song what i consider to probably be one of the most spiritual songs ever written and it's not by a christian group at all and I'll make a point about that when I'm done, but the song Awakened by, yes, if anyone, if your listeners get to listen to that, and it may not touch them the same way it did me, but it is, I think, the pinnacle of rock music composition. And it does that thing to me. It, it, by the end of that song, 17 minutes worth of that song, I am pointed toward heaven. Yeah. That's the effect it has on me. And which is to say, I think God can speak through whatever he wants. We, we can't put him in a box. Uh, I, I've seen kind of something of God in, in certain secular movies. You can see like the stories there, the threads yeah. that something's there uh, that the director and the writer never intended. Uh, and I got to sit with uh, John Anderson at his home once and we talked about Awaken and he's not a Christian, um, but he, he did tell me he knew when they were writing the song that something was happening, right. that none of them could explain that it went way beyond what they were capable of and he never really understood why. Uh, and I tried over time to try to explain to him what it was, uh, to me at least, but that makes sense it I absolutely mean, I, yeah. I i look at some strange authors like uh clark ashton smith or hp lovecraft 
things like that. I, if, if I'm going to tell a story that's Christian or that tell, I mean, any kind of story needs to have something dark about it. So I'll, I'll read horror writers yeah. that show me how to, you know, to accomplish that. Um, and then, of course, I've loved Tolkien's essays on, uh, there's an essay called On, on Fairy Stories. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm familiar with it. Um, and let's see, what else did I put down? Um, but yeah, Fred and I listen to all kinds of stuff. Paintings will inspire us, movies all the time. Um, you know, something a pastor said in the pulpit. Uh, Madonna, Madonna and Larry King. <laughs> yeah. any, it could be anything. So uh, I'm not looking necessarily at Christian things to inspire me, unless that's where it happens. But I'll pray, you know, for inspiration. Yeah. Um, and I just tell God, hey, I, I'm looking for something. I want to keep doing this. I don't want to stop doing this. But please give me something. Please give me something. And some days he'll just turn my head around and it, there it is. And it just, boom. Right. And that happened with the incons Inconsolable Secret. It was a painting of the Lady of Shallot that I was just, I was just looking at. It hangs in our studio. It's gorgeous. It's, 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 it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the one where she's in the boat. Right. And, mm -hmm. uh, and there's a lot of meaning in, in, in that uh, painting. The candles are blowing out because her life is blown. There's lots of things about that. But I... I was shopping for ideas for a concept album and I prayed about it and I looked at that painting and it, it just exploded. Uh, and I know exactly what that whole album was about. Wow. It's, it's strange to me. I don't, you know, you can't, you know, you can't really force it to happen. You just pray that it will. And yeah. one day maybe it won't anymore. So until it stops, I'm going to keep doing this. There you go. Well, Steve, thanks again for taking the time to talk to us. We know you're busy. As a matter of fact, uh, Glass Hammer is right in the thick of recording its follow-up to last year's acclaimed Dreaming City, which I think is your best album to date, and that, that's really saying something. Are there any final, are there any final oh, thoughts you'd like to add, including how people can find out more about what the band's up to? Well, you know, you can glasshammer.com is the easy way to go we're on twitter we're we're everywhere we're supposed to be i think uh, we are trying to turn the, the album dreaming city into a trilogy i'm not sure that's been done i love doing things other bands haven't done so that's that's what we're trying um you know and, and christians that are listening pray for us uh please you know that that would be much appreciated i hear from a lot who are and it always makes me feel great to know that there's people. I, I had some people from Brazil <clears throat> spend a whole day praying about us the other day, and it's great. Wow. So I think that prayer helps. Uh, we're trying to do something good in, in a world that doesn't always appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'd say. And just try to support us if you can. Purchase those albums, downloads, whatever. Yeah. Be great. All right. Well, thanks again, Steve. Have a good one. Thank you so much.